You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the raven too comes from the green dragon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. I am Kylie, and I am here by myself today for another Little Green Dragon short. I know I said little, but this one will probably be a little bit longer than our normal Green Dragon shorts. I'll probably go for about 20 minutes or so. We'll see how truthful I am at the end of this uh, little episode. But recently, I went to a tournament over in Perth. I had a absolute blast heading over to this tournament and I wanted to, you know, share with our listeners my thoughts and kind of give a breakdown and rundown of how I went. Because this tournament was very different, had some unique formats and stuff and a very odd points level. So just get right into it, shall I? Um, so the points limits uh, was uh, 850 points. Uh, so Already, we're on the pretty high sides of things, so a lot of big nasty stuff is probably going to show up at this tournament. But what made this tournament quite interesting for me was it was three rounds, and the scenarios were pre-selected, and the scenarios were selected for specific rounds. So round one was going to be destroy the supplies, round two was going to be contest of champions, and round three was going to be lords of battle. So already, we're looking at some really, really high-intensity games with some probably going to be a lot of really baller and aggressive heroes. Uh, with those scenarios uh, kind of being the way they are, it's probably going to reward players who take big, powerful heroes that can get those resets. Because in Lords of Battle and Contest of Champions, when your heroes uh, kill enemy models, they get a my point back. So that's that's really good. So that uh, was a kind of a catalyst, a homing in point for me to think and I'm thinking to myself what can really abuse this this reset mechanic what has a reset mechanic and I thought Easterlings might be a really fun choice I pulled together my Easterlings now we've had a new kind of update with Defense of the North for the Easterling army so I figured I would lean in a bit to, to that um, I'm not a big fan of the Palaquin as a model I think it's a bit odd bit bit strange that you would ride into battle on a chair essentially with a bunch of guys carrying it for you so i always thought that was a bit of an, an odd kind of design for a model but you know some people like it some people don't i personally do not so i went out to find a a true mount a real mount for my dragon emperor and i took a uh, magma droth from uh, warhammer fantasy uh, or Age of Sigmar now, I think it's called, and converted it, popped it on an 80mm base, and stuck an Easterling on the back. So I have an Easterling riding a Magma Droth uh, as my kind of palaquin, and we've uh, lovingly referred to the dragon as uh, palaquin. That's that's the name of the dragon, is, is palaquin. So uh, we've, we've got some fun, had, had some fun with that, and... My army list, I suppose, trying to tell you guys uh, what I ended up taking. So, I obviously, I have the Dragon Emperor of Rune on his trusty Dragon Palaquin uh, as my warband leader, uh, my army leader. And in his warband, we have two Black Dragon Warriors with shield, nine Black Dragon Warriors with pike and shield, six Black Dragons with bow. As we all know, we got to take some honesty bows in our army. 
uh, and one Black Dragon Cataphract with War Drum. In Warband 2, we have a trusty Dragonite on Armored Horse, and he's leading six Black Dragon Cataphracts. Remember, we get those Black Dragon upgrades for free in Warbands that are led by uh, Dragon Knight or the Dragon Emperor. In Warband 3, we have decided to go with Rutabi, General of the Dragon Legion, uh, and oof, she is going to come in big in this little episode. Uh, she has one Black Dragon with Pike and Shields, eight Acolytes with a weapon swap. They have some Easterling Halberds, some axes to go with them. They came in clutch in a lot of games. And we also have three runish war drakes just to kind of round out her warband. And finally, we have an Easterling captain on Armored Horse for Shield by himself as kind of like a pseudo-independent warband. Uh, and he came in clutch in a couple of games as well, really helping out with um, some really critical heroic actions. So that's that's the list I took. I decided to go for Rutabi uh, over Brogir. I feel like Rutabi... Uh, well, not feel like. I got basically told by uh, Jeremy that Rutagabi will probably provide me more in a game than uh, Brogear. Not That's not to say Brogear is bad. I think Brogear is a fantastic enchanter. But with the Dragon Emperor of Rune uh, and, and the Dragonite being auto-includes, we were kind of limited in the amount of models we can uh, take, like amount of heroes we can take. We kind of really only can fit four heroes in there. We probably could go to five, but I really want to keep my model count nice and healthy we've got a lot of kind of force multipliers in the dragon empress palaquin with the reroll and the fight vibe so i wanted to take as many models as i could reasonably fit into the list so that's why i went with rutabi over brogear because i felt that the captain uh whilst i could swap him out as well for brogear was just a must we, we need the captain that march plus the easterling war drum uh was super clutch it the 12 inch move just being able to just be somewhere on the table uh, particularly in Lords of Battle and in uh, Destroy the Supplies, was just going to be too valuable for me to pass up. If my opponent was taking mass range or some powerful ranged weapons, which I did have to go up to at some points in this game, uh, I would desperately need that march just to get that little bit extra further because uh, being able to fling your army 12 inches forward or even send the cavalry off on a hit squad mission uh, going 20 inches is, is super, super important. So that's why I went with uh, those choices. The weapon swaps I felt was going to be important for the Acolytes. They have the two attacks. So getting the strength four on them was going to be important, even at the cost of being able to cop hits coming back. But I felt that getting some more extra strength four into the list was going to be important because I have no way of really breaching those, you know, Urukai phalanxes or or shield walls that we commonly see uh, with high elves and stuff like that. So having that strength four was going to be important for me. And of course, the drum goes without question. Uh, the drum is just super good. Um, I. I honestly, every army that can take a drum, so what's that, like Isengard now, Easterlings, and Mordor, I mean, I think you're, I think you're an absolute fool now not to take that drum, it's just, it's, it covers so many bases and allows you so many opportunities to win games that you would probably otherwise lose. So, heading down to the tournament, kind of giving a bit of a, kind of, a prelude to going down i met up with some of my mates from perth uh before the tournament so uh a quick little uh shout out to marco brad joe and Corey, who we met up at northern boards in perth so if you're a perth local go check them out had a lot of fun just having some quick casual games i took my numenor over there over as well just to have some casual games uh, before the tournament and uh turns out for joe that was really helpful for him to get a practice game in before the tournament so you're welcome, Joe. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that practice game. I look forward to having another game with you. 
I perused Perth a bit, managed to catch Ant-Man and the Wasp as well before the tournament. Yeah, I crashed out in the mate's, cow, uh, mate's spare bedroom, and yes, then we came to the tournament, and man, they have some, some nice kind of setups over in uh, WA for gaming and stuff, which I'm a little bit jealous of. I wish we had a bit more kind of larger setups uh, down here in Melbourne. Uh, but it was interesting to see the list that people were taking. There was a lot of big, powerful characters. The Necromancer was showing up in a couple of lists, as well as Sauron. Uh, the Balrog also made an appearance at this tournament as well. We had things like Double Dragon, Double Mumak, um, kind of hitting the table, which was kind of cool to see. Some more traditional lists, of course, uh, Elves, Gwahi, Birdbath, uh, all sorts of kind of really nasty lists that you would expect to do well in Contest of Champions. And that's what the kind of theme of the tournament was. Because Contest of Champions was going to be the middle round, everyone was taking something that could deal with Contest of Champions or have a solid investment to winning Contest of Champions. And I found it quite fascinating that most Contest of Champions games usually end with one hero just going down on turn one or two, two. But in this, it actually turned out to be because of these heroes having so much will reserves and being so big, burly, and tanky, it actually ended up turning into a race. A lot of games turned into a race of who could get the most kills. I know famously in a table next to me, there was a Balrog versus Sauron contest of champions, and that was just both players looking at each other and going, well, I can't kill Sauron, I can't kill the Balrog, let's see how many goblins and orcs I can kill as fast as possible. Alright, so game one, uh, destroy the supplies. I am up against Mike, and he's Gondorian. So he had Boromir, Huron, Ingold, a Knight of the White Tower, Denethor, and the juicy spice of two Avenger Bolt throwers with Swift Reload. He had a bunch of knights and a tin can shield wall with a handful of Sith Guard floating around as well. So I was in for a bit of a hurt. I knew I had to get up close. So first order of the day was a drum march straight up the center of the board with the... Dragon King, uh, with Rutabi standing right next to him uh, with her Phalanx block and the Acolyte lagging behind. And fortunately for me, my opponent opted to move forward as well. Now, we had a bit of a chat about this at the end of the game. Obviously, he, uh, he had the uh, choice of standing back and shooting for the first turn, probably with a few in the ways, because we did have a fairly uh, ruined type board with a fair few in the ways on there. But he decided to come forward because he knew that if he took the fight basically on his objectives uh, or just in front of his objectives it would give me more advantage to win the game and more potently he would not have the ability to get to my objectives if he managed to quarter my force. Uh, Boromir came down my left flank his right flank and I had the Dragon Knight my my cataphracts to match him and my plan was to use Gleaming Horde to kind of slow down that advance you know stop here and Boromir from getting rolling, and then position the Dragon Emperor in one of those big choke points. The Cataphracts did not do as well as I hoped. They kind of got a bit manhandled, but fortunately for me, I was able to duck my archers back across. And remember, as we said, honesty bows are the way to go in an evil army, because when you're able to shoot into combat with some decent shots, it can come in clutch. And it came in clutch for me. I managed to get a couple of throwing weapons and about five bow shots into Boromir. And on my third attempt, I managed to shoot out Boromir's force from out and under him. And that pretty much was the game from there. The Dragon Emperor swung back across to go deal with Huron, who was having, sadly, a really bad day. Just couldn't beat a Fight 5 Cataphract to save his life. Uh, and ended up losing his horse and copping a wound from said cataphract as well. So 
Huron was having a bit of an off day, but Boromir, he was tearing up a storm before he got knocked off his horse, and then once he did, he was still able to win combats and get kills, but the problem was, without that extra damage potential of the knockdown, he couldn't clear out the uh, objective on my left and be able to destroy the supplies, which was a big thing for me. The Dragon Emperor just did his job, just sat there giving out fight 5 and fight 6, killed a couple of guys here and there, but the real MVP of this game, the true hero, was the Easterling Captain and Rutabi. They were the ones that completed the objective for me. Rutabi, I was able to go in and not only kill Ingold, but the Knight of the White Tower as well, kind of in succession, basically charging him and going, are you going to strike? Oh, you're going to strike. I'll copy that for free. Thank you. And was able to kind of just outmuscle them. And as well, she was able to challenge a heroic move that the Knight of the White Cow called, which allowed me to get a nasty heroic combat off with the captain with his last point of might and slingshot onto the objective. My captain went through, systematically destroyed the back two objectives that were lightly defended, easily mopping up the one or two sick guard that were defending them, and then make his way across to the third. I couldn't quite get to the third objective, of course, because that's where the bolt throwers were camped, and moving into the open against two bolt throwers wasn't the best idea, but eventually I did manage to destroy two objectives to my opponent's zero. I broke him and wounded Denethor uh, with a sneaky runish uh, raw drake. He was able to, between terrain features and block line of sight, and managed to just, on the last turn, sneak into combat with Denethor, win combat, and just sneak a wound in. So I managed to win that uh, scenario 8-0, uh, which was a very nice start to the tournament. The drum was absolutely clutch. The march was clutch. Everything in this army, I felt, did exactly what it needed to do. Uh, the Knight of the White Tower basically just ran into Boromir and forced Boromir and Huron to spend four points of might between the two of them with strikes and moves to pin in place. And although my Dragonite went down, he did. He's kind of did his job in that game, which was slow Boromir down a couple of turns and most importantly suck out some might. Once Boromir starts to drop down to uh, below three might, his damage potential and threat goes down dramatically. He suddenly he can't force the dice rolls to get wounds through, and I'm able to just kind of push back and hold them in place, which was really good. And the Dragonite will come in uh, into some discussions a bit later because he did some really fun things in game two and game three. So game two, uh, I'm coming off a win, a major win, as a matter of fact, and I was curious to see who I was going to come up with next. And I drew three Isengard Ballistas with the Legendary Legion, and I went, oh crap. One lucky hit and I am doomed. This was a bit of a, a very, not so much strategic game, but very tactical game. A lot of finicky little micro adjustments just to irk out every little bit of advantage as I could from every single turn. I positioned, I was lucky enough to have a tower right next to the center of the board. So think center of the board, nothing there. And then immediately three inches of the center of the board, there's a tower. And the tower kind of overlapped both mine and my opponent's side of the table, and that was my bread and butter. That was the thing that was going to save me in this game, was this tower in the center of the board. Uh, this tower was my god. There, it was it was everything to me, because it was providing the Dragon Emperor, and in the way, of the three ballistas that could shoot, only two could actually draw a line of sight to the palacum from where they deployed. A couple went high onto some buildings, one was low, but the main thing was the tower was preventing one from seeing and another one from having it in the way. And that in the way was absolutely vital because on the first turn, he rolled a natural six. First shot, first ballista shot of the game, rolls a natural six on a scatter and I was sweating. But fortunately for me, that in the way came in clutch. He rolls a two, can't might through it. 
and the ballista bolt hits the in the way, hits the tower on the way through to the Dragon Emperor, which could have surely ended the game right then and there. Would have taken away my fight five, which I desperately needed against the Urukai, and most importantly, got rid of my banner reroll. So I was lucky there. The next kind of big follow-up to that turn was my opponent decided to disengage. I won the roll-off to go into combat first turn. I had managed to charge his front rank, but I couldn't get to his hero, obviously. So he ducked away, swung his hero, uh, his three attack uh, captain, around the other side of the uh, tower. And I think this is where he made his kind of, not so much mistake, but I suppose it's a poor tactical decision. Because he didn't hug the tower really close, he wasn't in range to charge on turn two. My cavalry had come up, pushed up on the on the other side of the tower. I had the Dragonite and the Captain come in. His crossbows were harrowing me all left and right. Oh my god, his crossbows got so many kills this game. Uh, just shooting and picking off uh, stragglers that couldn't quite get into combat. But the main thing was, my opponent couldn't get his Captain into combat on turn 2. Particularly in a space that didn't have any of my heroes to kind of shepherd them. I, I had a captain nearby, but a cap fight four captain isn't going to do much against a fight five Urukai captain with the extra attack and wound. So I was kind of stuck trying to chase him around kind of the his, his strong side of the tower. And I, although I got the two kills early on, the Dragon Emperor stalled and was starting to slow down a bit of kills. But fortunately for me, as the game progressed out, the Dragon Knight managed to get a heroic combat through swing back around to the other side of the flag and really kind of hem in the the, uh, the Urukai captain and kind of force him into a bad choice because if he went forward and tried to pick off some kills, uh, get some get into the thick of things, he would either be forced with fighting a captain or Rutabi. In the end, he kind of sort of went f to Rutabi's side and Rutabi did get a charge off on his uh, leader in contest, but she couldn't do more than knocking off his fate point and not really doing much else. Uh, the Dragon Emperor at this point was on four kills to my opponent's one, and I felt pretty confident with the lead, so long as those ballistas didn't get a hit in. I had, luckily for me, the drum, again, coming in clutch. I managed to march a, uh, with the drum a couple of, a uh, handful of cavalry up the right flank, ducked through some terrain, got broke some line of sights because the blisters basically were all going at the Dragon Emperor when they could. So they weren't really able to take shots at the Gleaming Horde uh, group of three cavalry coming around the, the side. The crossbows did manage to pick one off from memory, but the main thing was I got my crossbow, my got into the crew of one of the blisters and managed to shut it down, at least for a couple of turns. But still super super scary i got a bit lucky i will say that the ballistas managed to go five turns in succession without scoring a hit i just kept rolling one re-rolling into another one and i was just kind of counting my blessings of like thank god these ballistas weren't hitting um and putting some absolute devastating pressure on my dragon emperor so i kind of got away with murder i did have uh, four kills at the end of turn i think it was three or so to his one and i was feeling that even if the dragon emperor did cop a direct hit and go down i still had enough forward pressure to be able to take on his captain and that kind of was how the game played out uh, i kept kind of pushing forward and once i got up to seven uh seven kills i felt confident at that point that there was no way his hero could catch me back because by that time the dragonite had cut through a whole bunch of isengard Rutabi was just doing Rutabi things. Uh, she'd already killed one captain, was staring down the face of our main leader, and I thought, yes, this is it. 
I've got him and eventually, yeah, Rutabi got into his leader and took him down, which was um lucky for me, because the ballistas I just just couldn't 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 hit a barn door to save their life. They they killed a bunch of uh plebs uh, here and there. He just couldn't get that five or a six on the scatter with the might point to, to direct hit into the combat. So he probably killed about oh, I would say probably close to a dozen of my models with the ballista. But again, if you don't get those priority hits, it's not going to do as much. So I walked away with the win in that game. I was very, very impressed with my opponent's uh, kind of micromanagement of his heroes. He even went for a good Hail Mary down on the Dragon Emperor at one point. He managed to get a sneaky trap off that I didn't see coming. And I was like, oh god, here we go. But fortunately, he didn't have any strikes. So I was able to use a might point to bump my five up into a six and win the combat. Saving my Dragon Emperor from a probably dead... Uh, captain berserker pike block uh, pike charge thing that he had going on so walked away with the win game two that was uh, quite pleasing and into game three and this was my hardest matchup yet I was going into a mirror match straight into another dragon emperor in lords of battle no less uh, our list did uh, deviate slightly my opponent obviously had the dragon emperor but he went for bro gear over rutabi and he also had an extra Dragonite. So he had five heroes. I had four. Uh, he had more cavalry than I did. Uh, we had comparable numbers. I think I had 42. He had 40. But the main scare factor for me was two Dragonites with Brogear enchanting them behind. And I was I was worried. I was, I was looking at this going, there's no way. But I did have two things that kind of little advantages that I could create that my opponent couldn't create. And that was... I had Acolytes, and my opponent did not, and I had Rutabi. Now, this was the game where Rutabi showed how powerful she is. Uh, I lost priority on the first turn, and my opponent basically drummed and encircled me. But, 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 there was a sneaky little rock feature, kind of like a rocky plateau, uh, and had kind of like this big outcrop. So, there's this five-inch kind of almost mountain and a rocky outcropping over. So it was a jump test to get onto the rocky outcrop and then a climb test to get to the top of the big kind of rocky mountain that was sitting about four inches tall on the table. But this 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 rocky kind of mountain was about six inches in diameter. I think it was just shy of six. And I knew, I knew that the Dragon Emperor, his special rule to give them plus one fight was only a six inch bubble. So I'm thinking to myself, what can I do to make the Dragon Emperor come around that side of the rock and for me to get my acolytes up onto the rock? Well, I have a pike block that's pretty squishy if you throw Dragon Knights and, and Emperors into them. So I presented a weak front on my left. I ducked my rest of my army kind of in through... Uh, a couple of gaps, got into the outcrop, threw all my acol like a bunch of my acolytes up on the uh, on the outcrops, and then jumped back down the other side. And I was able to create a trap on or an encirclement on my opponent's cavalry. He had sent a half of his cavalry and one of his dragonites to hold this choke, this in this in gleaming horde. So he had this big choke, and basically said, "You're not coming through this gap." And I'm thinking to myself, "Yes, you're right. I'm not going to come through this gap. I'm going to go around it." And that's what I did. I threw Rutabi right into the face of um, the Dragon Knight, charged the Dragon Knight the next turn. I, I got lucky. I won the roll off there. And the Dragon Knight um, 
basically fell to Rutabi's whims. My handful of acolytes jumped up the outcrop, ran across the outcrop, and then jumped down the other side of the outcrop and charged this Easterling cavalry block in Gleaming Horde from behind. And Rutabi went in and basically, with her show no mercy, chopped the Easterling Dragonite's head off clean and all I had to trade for it was basically a, a, just a couple of archers and and models on my other side and it felt pretty like a pretty good trade my opponent at, at this point saw me jumping up onto this outer crop and I'm like I can't let her have free reign of this essentially launching point because that's what it was it was this point where I could jump my acolytes onto and then attack down with impunity into priority targets so he sent Part of his Easterling Phalanx block up onto the rock, some of his Rundish Warjakes, but like I said, that big Mesa that was sitting next to this outcrop was providing us weight in gold. Uh, Easterling Dragon Emperor just couldn't get in range to give them the banner reroll and the fight five, and because my Emperor was standing right next to the outcrop, all my acolytes had fight five and rerolls, and I was able to slowly push off this Easterling Phalanx and the Rundish Warjakes off the Mesa, wipe out the Warband, only to take you know a couple back in casualties and it was it was at that point i felt confident i had a kill lead i had pressure and the only thing that could stop me now was the easterling uh, emperor having a field day getting in and stuck in but for fortunately for me he felt that going into kind of my loose collection of pipe blocks on the left flank was going to be too much and overextending too far so he didn't commit his Dragon Emperor into those initial fights. Instead, he committed his Captain and some Cataphracts. Uh, his dragon, remaining Dragonite came wide and came down the left flank. But at this point, Rutabi, who had dealt with one Dragonite, went, Right, you're next on the menu. Pivoted around, ran back through my lines. I created a gap and opened a hole for her. And she went marched straight forwards, straight at my, uh, my opponent's Dragonite. And over this period of 3-4 turns, managed to pin him and chase him down. And eventually strike up, uh, copy his strike, and then kill him. So Rutabi just absolutely crushed this game. I think she ended the game having spent about four or five might points. She was just refreshing here and there. Uh, I was able to basically have Grobrogir follow my Dragonite around because uh, he really wanted to get the tremor off on my Dragonite to knock him off his his horse and maybe chip a wound off or something like that. But I just kept him out of range, Ke kept him in 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 a, in a zone that made my opponent feel like that if he got one or two kills he could just get that extra inch where he could push for and get the tremor but at that point he was just too overextended he had split too far from the emperor he had committed to encircling me without kind of taking into consideration what that kind of anchoring terrain feature i had was doing for me because that's what I was doing with the outcrop. I was creating a situation in which the acolytes could thrive and could win me the game because I knew they were the point of difference. They were the models that I had to have perform at their peak to win me this game. And that's why I hugged and used this outcrop to the best of my ability to create a situation in which they would have the best advantage as I could give them. And eventually I was able to break free on the encirclement that he tried to do on one side swing my cavalry around and at that point my opponent basically said all right game's over and allowed the game to end on the first roll he didn't bother using his uh, army bonus reroll so at the end of this game i came i think i came away with another eight nil on top of my seven nil uh the previous game i felt pretty confident going in that i could pick up a podium maybe win the tournament and 
Yes, I managed to pick up a second place, which I was very pleased about in a three-round tournament with about 32 players. The player that did get ahead of me managed to get two more VPs than I did throughout the course of the tournament, and I found out in the last final third rounds that my opponent's Balrog just had to kill one more model for him to break and basically lose out on the points that would have allowed me to win the tournament. But nonetheless, I'm happy with my result, absolutely ecstatic with my result. Uh, on reflection of my game, was there an opportunity to, to kind of claw out a couple more victory points? Yes, there was, but it would have come at the a, a real risk of losing a lot more victory points. And in a couple of situations, like the the first game with against the Gondorians, the third game for my opponent to try and fight back, use some of his tricks, brute force his way through my army. And I, I didn't want to take that risk. Uh, I think it's, especially in these kind of s situations, I always try and just secure the win before I try and push my luck. And at that point, I had secured the win and I didn't want to risk anything to go forward. And, you know, this was a, a fantastic trip, fantastic tournament to play in. Um, met a lot of players that I had spoken to a lot online and had catched once or twice, you know, five, six years ago, but hadn't met in a while. So it was really good to catch up with the Perth boys and basically have a fun couple of days with them we cruised around perth a bit went out for drinks the uh saturday night and yeah had an absolute blast and i tell you what coming coming back down today because i'm recording this uh uh the day after the tournament i am absolutely wrecked uh for those of you that don't know australia is a big country it's like a four hour flight from melbourne to perth and you change time zones so i had some serious dread lag coming back today i think i slept for 16 hours today after I got back at like an ungodly time in the morning but it was an absolute blast and uh, I strongly recommend any of my Aussie friends who are on the east coast to try and make it over to a WA tournament because they they are built different over there all my opponents played supremely well I didn't I didn't notice a mistake per se in terms of how they played their models maybe there were some better decisions strategically they could have done but again Choosing a strategic play or a strategic, you know, maneuver, that's not necessarily a bad play. It's not necessarily a mistake. It might be a probably not the most optimal play or you probably could have done something different. But in terms of execution of their models, I had to really step my game up and think, all right, my opponent's probably going to try and do this, this and this. How can I counter this over the next couple of turns? And it forced me to, to kind of go... If my opponent is thinking one, two turns ahead, I have to three think three, four turns ahead. And that's what really I really enjoyed about the tournament because they were pushing me not to just go in and play my standard gameplay at, to, to win the game because that was clearly not going to work. I found that out on the Friday with a couple of practice games with my Numenor. I had to really push the limits of what I could do with my army and really push the limits of what I could do as a player and really kind of bring out the, the best of me. And that's what I loved is these... These players pushed me to, to play my best, my absolute best, kind of the, the, the stuff that I used to, to take to Articon years past. So shout out to all them, all my opponents for an absolutely amazing game. Uh, Mike, uh, Corey, and I think it was Joe? Joe? Was it Joe? Luke. Luke. Mike, Corey, and Luke. Thank you for some amazing games and... I look forward to coming back over to Perth at some point in the future. Just hoping that the next time I do come over to Perth, they have gotten rid of the carpet on their trains. Yes, you heard me right.
Perth has carpet on their trains. I, 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 I just, I can't understand why you would put carpet on your trains. Why? It makes no sense. Like, you would think that these, these trains with carpet in them, like, would, would be disgusting and horrible. But that's, that's the enigma, you see. They weren't stained. They, they weren't grotty. They weren't covered in mud and grime. They were clean. And I, I was shocked, like, because when I first hopped onto the train, I, I, I looked, at, I looked down at the floor and went, no, that, that can't be carpet on the train. And I, I like tentatively reached down and le- knelt down and put my hand on the, on the floor and kind of like, like caressed it a bit and went, holy crap, that's carpet. And there was this woman who was looking at me like I'd grown a second head, like just, just sitting away from me. And I like kind of like sheepishly, like sat back down and every few minutes I kept going, no, it's not carpet. And having to like re-remind myself there was carpet on this train. It was just, it, it was so baffling. Like the fact that they had carpet and it was clean and no litter and mess on the train. Like it just, it just, it just baffled me. I've, I feel like I need to go back, like, next time and, and, and take a sample because of how 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 much this just absolutely boggled my mind because it, it surprised me how clean not only these trains were, but Perth in general were. But any, anyway, that's that's my little kind of, like, thing that happened that kind of short-circuited sort, sort my brain. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to get off back on topic or wrap this episode up because this is going to a very strange place. Kylie's talking about trains and city hygiene. So um, I'm going to leave you all with that. I had an absolute blast with this Legion. I think it's a great army to play. I'm the Dragon Emperor and stuff. Uh, do I think it's balanced? Uh, it's it's not too bad. It's, it's pretty strong. I think Rutabi is one of the best heroes uh, you could take in the game at the moment. Uh, she is absolutely phenomenal. So I recommend all Eastlings players take it. I look forward to try and, trying out Brogy later in the future, but I have a feeling he's going to be better paired with Amdur. So maybe that might be something I try out uh, at a later date. Maybe try some Amdur Brogy shenanigans uh, and see how we go. That's all for me now at the Green Dragon, and I hope you all have a lovely day and listen to this short, which I just realized has gone 15 minutes over what I planned to record. But I'm sure you all are going to enjoy uh, listening to some new content. So with that being said, may you have an enjoyable day and trap swing games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.